0: On today's episode, we have Dr. Susie Lachowski and Dr. Connor Sheridan. It is a small world out there. Not only is Dr. Lachowski a leader within the industry on blood flow restriction training and therapy, also known as BFR, she also certifies exercise and sports medicine professionals in the BFR modality across the country, but she was also my best friend in grad school. After going through the rigors of qualifying exams, Susie became an expert on both exercise physiology and BFR. And she is also the founding director and assistant professor of the Division of Exercise Science at American International College in Springfield, Massachusetts. Susie also owns Glass Training and Education, LLC, to provide coaches, clinicians, and other professionals with education and practical content within the fields of exercise science and sports medicine. She's also a fantastic human being. And to come full circle with the connections, Dr. Connor Sheridan was a student of Susie's at AIC, where he earned his Doctor of Physical Therapy. Connor is currently a physical therapist at Divergence PT and Wellness in Wellesley, Massachusetts. And prior to that, Connor worked with both athletes and general population clients at Cressy Sports Performance. In this episode, we will discuss the physiology and implementation of BFR, case studies and examples for its use, strategies for working with both performance and persistent pain clients, BFR as a modality to train at low intensities while also creating adaptations in muscle growth, cardiovascular training, and recovery benefits. Also, how to prepare persistent pain clients for BFR training, specific training protocols, and much, much more. So without further ado, here's our episode with Dr. Susie Lachowski and Dr. Connor Sheridan.
1: I'm Tim Richard,
0: And I'm Michelle Bolin,
1: And you're listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast.
2: More Train, Less Pain.
3: Tell me about your uh, experience being a student teacher. I'll let you go first, Connor, with being the student and then I'll chime in. Does that sound good?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that that sounds good. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess there's a little bit of a transcendence into like obviously graduating and then almost just becoming like peers. Um, But I would say like it's definitely beyond like a professional relationship. Like obviously we highly respect each other and what we do in our own like specific um, fields and all that stuff. Uh, But also like We'll go over and hang out with like Max and grab like dinner and like, you know, hang out and, you know, I'll pet the dog and it's a whole it's a whole thing. So it's a good relationship. And uh, yeah, it's definitely something that's grown and uh, it kind of started with like ex fizz and obviously uh, grad school at AIC for PT school. So it's been it's been a long journey. But yeah, it's been probably what, five, six years. Uh, But yeah, time kind of flies. And here we are.
3: Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. I had Connor in uh, Gross Anatomy over the summer and fall, and then he took the grad X phys class, and you know, kind of from there, he had such an interest in strength and conditioning, physiology, all that. So he kind of gravitated towards a lot of questions after class. I'm like, all right, this guy's going somewhere. Plus, he loves the physiology aspect of it, so I like him already. Um, <laughs> but I knew once he was towards he- heading towards graduation, he was he was going to be off doing some some big things and stuff. But it's really nice. My favorite part of the jobs, for sure, is is when we graduate when they graduate and we're we're peers and it's even more fun when we get to work together, do podcasts together, courses together, things like that and like you said even more than that just you know being able to to hang out and and all that kind of stuff almost as you know peers and friends and stuff like that. So it's definitely a fun fun full circle moment for me too. Yeah, if you like physiology, Susie's going to be all over it, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Susie, I want to kind of dive in. You're uh I would consider Expert here. So, what's with all this uh, blood flow restriction training stuff? Oh, geez.
3: And <laughs> that's, a, that's a loaded question, but I'm excited to dive into all of it today. Um, so, we'll definitely kind of define what it is and so forth. You know, I think I've, I've probably mentioned or in my bio at some point, I do a full full BFR certification course for PT, the athletic trainers, strength conditioning coaches personal trainers and all that good stuff. Um, but I like to look at, uh, BFR and I'm just going to, you know, break it down to BFR is, uh, is a tool to have on your tool chest, your, your training tool chest. i never like to say, you know, replaces any other type of training or traditional training, but how could we use this or supplement it with certain populations or within the athletic populations and, and program them differently, but, with that being said, um, I like, it's also, I like to call it a bridging of the gap modality. And I'm going to explain that in a little bit. But I guess um, most of you, you know, most people probably have heard of what BFR is by this point. But if not, you know, I'll kind of define it for you or how I like to define it is as um restriction um, of blood flow to the larger muscle groups. Um, so we restrict, you know, we allow some arterial blood flow into the major muscle groups, but we restrict venous outflow. There's really two points. Um, where you would place like a band or a cuff, and I would like to add a reputable band or cuff (laughs) Um, at that point, um, our safe one, or a safe and um, reliable one, um, would be on two places, would be on the upper extremities, is like right below where the deltoid inserts, and on the lower extremities, um, as high as you can go on the femur, kind of right that top of the cuff being right below that gluteal fold. So you really kind of want to only want it on two places uh, there in your body, for, for sure. But um, blood flow restriction, I guess, would be is, you know, when you use it, uh, you know, you apply certain pressures. I mean, I don't have to define them too, too much. We can get into that later if we want to with regards to pressures and all those kind of things. But ultimately, the goal is to restrict blood flow into the muscle or muscle group um, and restrict venous outflow. Um, so by doing so, uh, typically what we do and what what's the whole point of that? So it kind of sounds all right. Well, what's the point of restricting blood flow? Well, if we go back to traditional strength training or anything like that, the typical size order principle says, you know, the heavier weight that you lift, the bigger muscle fibers that you activate. So if we're lifting really low loads, low weights, we're really working those type one muscle fibers or small diameter muscle fibers that love oxygen, things like that. And they're, you know, you know, they will activate first comparatively to our type two Bs or our big muscle fibers. Um, but with blood flow restriction um, training, we know that not every population can lift really heavy weights. I'm talking like 80, 85% of someone's one rep max, um, not every, you know, whether you have osteopenia, osteoporosis, you're post-surgical, you're deconditioned, you have a strain, sprain, um, or you just really can't get to that technique or get up to that, you know, 75 to 85% of one rep max where you need to activate those type 2B muscle fibers. This is a good modality to get you there in a different way. Um, So we can do that by restricting blood flow and so forth. I don't know if you want me to keep going unless you want to ask another question or anything. You are a
0: pure teacher. I love listening (laughs) to you talk. Um, Uh, Maybe the type of like patients that we're talking about, and definitely Connor can jump in uh, later on with like his experience working with people. But um, when we're talking about like the benefits of it, how does BFR uh, maybe uh, uh, encourage muscular strength and hypertrophy, like specifically.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. So what, um, what happens here is when we're restricting blood flow to the area. So I'm going to mix in blood, like the physiology with all of it. When you restrict blood flow to the area, you're ultimately restricting oxygen. So after a while, you know, our type one muscle fibers love oxygen. There are aerobic muscle fibers. So that's what they love to use to produce ATP for, you know, cellular metabolism, but we know our type 2x or our type 2b muscle fibers love to run off immediate energy sources and anaerobic energy sources so but also require a great deal of you know force to activate whether you're doing like high intensity plyometric sprints or lifting you know 75 85% your one rep max type of thing that's how we get to those and we know with regards to strength and hypertrophy if we're looking to have some bigger gains in strength and hypertrophy we got to get to those muscle fibers somehow you know, we got to get there. So and how we can do that with BFR, we can kind of sneakily do that is by restricting blood flow, we ultimately restrict oxygen over time to the muscle fibers. So when we restrict oxygen to the muscle fibers, we're starving the type one muscle fibers of the nutrient it likes to use for cellular metabolism. So once the oxygen is restricted enough over a period of time or on time under restriction, what ends up happening is those type one muscle fibers kind of drop out. So even though you're lifting really light, light weights, let's just say with BFR, I think I forgot to mention you want to lift like low loads, so light weights, very, very light, anywhere from like 20 to 30 percent of your one rep max, so very, very light. And even by doing so, restricting oxygen to those, to those muscle fibers, we're able to, they'll start dropping out. So then, in order to keep exercising, even though we're lifting a light weight, you actually have to activate those next bigger muscle fibers, which are then your type two A's, and then eventually you'll get to those type two B's. So that's why you want to kind of do higher reps or higher time under tension to allow the oxygen to be strict restricted for those muscle fibers to drop out. So then we can kind of um, activate those type 2B muscle fibers. So once we do that, once we get to those, we kind of sneakily did it in just a totally different physiological way. What we can, we know those muscle fibers go through anaerobic glycolysis, the immediate energy systems. So by doing so, what are some byproducts that come from that? excuse me, lactate and hydrogen are big ones. So we're now creating a like metabolic acidosis. So we're creating a kind of a disturbance in this homeostatic state within the muscle cell. So lactate hydrogen is building up faster than we can clear it because we're also restricting the venous outflow. So what ends up happening is the buildup of hydrogen and lactate and so forth will end up you know, pressing on some peripheral receptors, sending a signal to the brain saying, hey, we're under a great deal of stress here. So growth hormone is immediately like surged into the system systemically. So a couple ways that you can gain hypertrophy and strength from BFR and a quick, quick summary aspect would be a few different ways. If you want to look up some of the mechanisms, like cell swelling is a big mechanism out there that that talks about with BFR because we're trapping blood into the muscle cell as well as dragging amino acids into the muscle cell. And we know this is building blocks of protein. In addition to that, we have that neural hormonal cascade. So we release a lot of growth hormone. And then a few hours later, we got a surge of IGF-1 circulating in the system. Those two hormones help incorporate, you know, in, you know, know, engage in protein synthesis down the line if you're using this chronically you know, over, over a period of time. So we can actually activate very similar mechanisms to heavy resistance exercise just in a totally different way.
0: I feel like I should bring you on more as like my, like Peter or Tia, you know, (laughs) just lay everything out. Uh, So Connor, you've had some really good experience working with uh, BFR training with your clients. Um, You wanna kind of maybe talk about the benefits you've seen with uh, the type of training?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think I really like what Susie said early on where it's used to basically bridge the gap. So very rarely will I use it and really never use it in substitution of actual strength training. So like strength training still holds all the water. And um, I would say that that's definitely primarily our focus. The nice thing about BFR is that it's extremely time efficient. So you don't really need a lot of time to get all of your BFR work in. Um, But it's extremely beneficial just from a standpoint of like, if we have a full hour for a session, um, you know, say 45 minutes, we're doing like, warm up, maybe some positional breathing stuff, some uh, plyometrics, you know, we get through like uh, traditional strength training stuff, maybe some compound lifts and, you know, kind of using sound exercise selection. You can then go in and do BFR on top of that. Um, Some of the cases that I've had like chronic hamstring strains, um, chronic Achilles strains. So definitely like a lot of chronic pain stuff. It's been extremely helpful for, especially with like some of the hormonal benefits that you'll see with it and just general circulation. Um, but also like post-op and quite frankly, I don't see a ton of post-op. I'm definitely seeing more people on the chronic pain side of things. Um, but for the post-op people like I right now, you know, I have a case that I talked about in a course, uh, from about a month ago and this guy I saw for like over a year prehab, and it wasn't even determined that he wanted to get knee surgery right away. Uh, but 66 years old like to you know i don't know if you want me to give like the full rundown of this case um, yeah go for it but yeah so guys, 66 years old like extremely active i think he's probably like five, eight, a buck 35 so not a large man um but basically extremely active played rugby uh you know through high school and like into college and stuff um and he tore his meniscus and his acl in his right knee and in his left knee um So his left knee, he got operated on. And that was much later on. Um, But his meniscus, he tore in the 70s. He got meniscus surgery in the 70s. And what we know about like surgery in the 70s is that it's not as uh, advanced as it is today. So he has like this giant scar. And I basically got like his opinion of it. And I was like, well, what was that like? And he basically said like they went in, they cut the whole thing open. Um, You know, they took the whole meniscus out. So there was nothing really arthroscopic about it. Um, And with that being said, like, they took out the meniscus and they never, he never had the ACL like really repaired, reconstructed, nothing like that. Um, so with that being said, like he really had no frontal plane stability. Um, he had a lot of loss of joint space and like, you know, I, even in the course of show like the X-ray and everything, like there's definitely, I mean, it makes sense why he was definitely sensitive to a lot of compression. And Mm -hmm. so, when you talk about someone like he would just run around the yard with his grandkids and he would buckle. And sometimes the buckling was very painful and it would cause a lot of like swelling. Um, but other times he would just buckle and he would just be like, I don't really have a lot of confidence in this. Um, and the pain would also cause that muscle inhibition and with a lack of muscle inhibition. And then you add on the fact that he doesn't have an ACL for like any frontal transverse plane stability. Um, you're dealing with someone who's not going to be very stable and like his favorite hobbies just happen to be like hiking pickleball, uh, ice skating and like all of the stuff that you need, like stability and really like all three planes generally. Um, Mm -hmm. so we did prehab for about a year. Um, and you know, quite frankly, like I started loading him up, but he started becoming sensitive when the load was too heavy. So even something like a 54 pound, like kettlebell deadlift off the floor, he started buckling a little bit. And then like unilateral stance forget about it so like any type of you know and as high ground as you'd want to go like foot on wall holding like a rig or anything else he would still buckle so like even with good exercise selection good biomechanics he still didn't have the stability or anything like that and it was really just sensitivity to load and that's where i was like okay we need to start to bridge the gap into like really getting hypertrophy but we can't do it with traditional strength training so that's when it was like okay this is where bfr is heavily indicated And he wasn't even post-operative yet, but we started having conversations about like, number one, I think it's a good idea. You get a knee replacement, Um, quite frankly, just structurally, but also like, we're going to basically try to get you as strong and and as much muscle as possible, just based on the atrophy and the, and the immobilization process that goes in after you get surgery. Right. Um, So we worked basically for an entire year and like the last four months, he essentially had like no knee buckling almost to the point where like he wanted to avoid surgery altogether. His pain was way better. He was still doing a lot of the stuff that he wanted to do leading up to his surgery. Um, but he still wasn't in a spot where it's like we can conservatively manage this just from a structural standpoint. Um, so we got him to a good spot and then he got the knee surgery and, uh, now it's pretty much just, you know, he's about five weeks out. Um, and his surgeon said like, Hey, you're three weeks ahead of schedule. Like, what have you been doing? And he's like, well, um, you know, definitely a lot of strength training leading up to the surgery has helped. Um, but he's like, we've also been doing this like BFR and that really helped me like really put muscle on. It helped me stay a little bit more stable and actually like provide some stability within the joint because you don't have the ACL. You don't really have a lot of the joint space and there was muscle inhibition. So, um, because of the pain. So by adding on the muscle, uh you know his joint had more protection and there was no more inhibition so he was able to like actually have that stability and not buckle as much and then we could almost like compound our exercise and lead back into like traditional strength training before surgery now it's kind of the opposite now it's kind of like starting with BFR especially like on the unaffected limb when his incision was still open Um, but then now he's got like double cuffs going and he's going like, uh, sit to stands and, you know, sled push and bike and everything else. And obviously there's the protocol of like the 30, 15, 15, 15. Um, but I've even gone off the script with the protocol and, uh, Susie can definitely talk about all of these things, uh, at length. Right. But, you know, it's, it's one thing that we've been using every, like just about every day and we've gotten fairly creative with it, just taking people to muscular failure in different ways knowing that you're still going to facilitate like the cellular swelling, still gonna facilitate all of the hormonal benefits, which is definitely helping him with the, the healing process. And I think that's definitely aided in like his overall recovery time.
0: We will be back after this quick message. The biggest struggles trainers and rehab professionals have with building and scaling their online training programs, attracting remote fitness clients, and maintaining communication is having quality videos that provide exercise technique and coaching instruction. Well, now you can stop searching the internet. You will never find them unless you go to Michelle michellebollen-training.com for the best exercise database on the internet. Imagine all of the funny looks your programs get when clients are trying to figure out what an exercise on their training program is instead of having clear instruction. Gain access to over 1500 exercise videos, coaching tutorials, and hundreds of positional instructional videos to send to your remote clients with the new digital format of the MBT exercise database. You will not find a contralateral reach walking lunge, a military crawl designed for posterior expansion, or a frontal plane hip shifting med ball slam on YouTube or anywhere else for that matter. The new database dropped in 2021 and hundreds of fitness and rehab professionals Use it to easily build out their online training programs with built-in buttons to insert the videos into personalized training programs, or to use videos to send to their rehab patients for at-home homework. The database will transform your training business by drastically improving scalability, improving communication with clients, and teaching them proper technique from afar. If you don't believe me, Dr. Pat Davison said, and I quote, this database is a goldmine for coaches who care about executing movements for athletes that can legitimately impact sports performance and health. So head over to Michelle dot training.com to learn more. And now, back to the show. Awesome. Um, so I admittedly so um, have. Don't have that much experience with blood flow restriction training. So, what, because one of my questions was going to be, I don't, you can both answer this question. You mentioned it was time efficient. So, what are like the specific protocols, kind of like reps and sets or like exercises? just so just like anything that you do, you like throw those bad boys on, or is it like specific things?
3: That's a great question. Absolutely. So, it's all definitely person and population dependent. So, um, like Connor used a great, um, prehab, post-surgical kind of combo strength conditioning example. I mean, the beauty of this kind of modality is we can use it with a lot of different populations. I'll probably chat about on a little bit like the cardiovascular benefits to BFR2. Most people, we really focus on muscular strength, hypertrophy, and endurance, which is amazing for so many different populations and conditions that can't lift heavy weights. I mean, let's think about some of our neuro populations, our not just our post-surgical, but like someone with osteoporosis, like things like that. I mean, there's like a number of different things we can do, but let's just talk about, I mean, for your question specifically, is like time efficient in the sense of, because for, for with BFR, we want to get to that metabolic, we want to get to that muscular failure where we're just like, I have to drop this five pound weight because it is just, you know, I have all this metabolic buildup and I just can't, you know, exercise anymore. So in order to do that, it's typically like the low loads or low resistance, kind of like that 20 to 30 percent of one rep max range, but you're not going to rep max everyone every session. So you just ultimately low loads, low intensities, um, but high reps and short rest periods in between reps. So a few protocols that are out there are, you know, say sets till failure, or I like to call it the rule of 30. It's like three sets of 30. So it's 30, 30, 30 with a 30 second rest in between sets. So it's like, wow, that's a lot of reps. And that's a like short rest period in between. But the point for that is, is you want short rest periods in between, because even though you're restricting, you're not completely occluding. Right. So we're still starting to get rid of some of the waste. We want that waist to keep building up. So we keep activating those type 2B muscle fibers. So by usually your first set, you feel great. You're like, oh, this modality is not bad at all. Mid of your second set, you're like, all right, now I'm I'm starting to feel it now. This is the burn by your third set. You you typically can't wait to drop the weight or, you know, finish that third, third set out. And Connor mentioned the other one, 30, 15, 15, 15. You could do four sets, typically 30 to 60 seconds rest in between sets for that purpose of we don't want to clear a lot of that metabolic waste because we're using the pathway more of that metabolic acidosis comparatively to micro tearing the muscle fibers with the heavier loads. So we want to keep building up the metabolic waste so we keep getting getting towards those bigger muscle fibers. So an example of mine would be I had a mom soccer uh, varsity soccer coach, uh, four kids was on the boards of all you know boards of you know everything it seemed like teacher all this kind of stuff. And it's like, listen, I used to be a soccer, you know, she's, you know, early 40s. She's like, I used to be a high school, I mean, excuse me, a college soccer player, you know, what? she's like, what can you do for me for general fitness to kick my butt in 15 to 20 minutes? Because that's what I got for me myself during the day. So I was like, well, you know, she was healthy. There was no other contraindications. Like there was nothing, no other ailments I needed to worry about. So she was really super easy. She was just more on the general fitness side. But she's like, I really want to get like a pump in. I want to get like this entire intensity. Like she loves the feel of like a high intensity exercise. She's that kind of a person. So I was like, let's do let's just crush it with some BFR. Like we can get four to five exercises in within a 20 minute time frame because of those short time periods in between the sets. Typically you want to do maybe two to three minutes in between an exercise, but you still don't want to typically you don't typically deflate, you know, in between those either. You want to restrict that for that whole 20 minutes. So once I kind of introduced her to some upper body, lower body, full body BFR, she she was off and running. She's like, oh, this is exactly what I needed. So that was in that kind of sense is that time saver. But I know Connor has a little bit more time with his patients. He usually gets at least, you know, an hour hour or so. But speaking to like other physical therapists, not all of them have like an hour, hour and a half, you know, with their patients. So sometimes how can you get the most bang for your buck in maybe like a 20 to 30 minute, if you're only seeing your patient for 30 minute segments, a lot of PTs, you know, that come up to us in are you know, in the courses or come up to me, will say, you know, I have such a short period of time to get to this, but this, so this could be, again, a modality that helps, helps them get to failure and get there in a shorter period of time. So it's, you know, can help it in that aspect. And what type of
0: exercises is it like, in, like, I don't know who, whoever wants to chime in, Connor wants to chime in too. Like, do you do it with all of the exercises you have that day? Or like Connor, you mentioned like the exercises, like kind of towards like the end, maybe like a few of them. What's, um, what's kind of maybe like the, the volume like that?
2: Yeah, I would say like in our setting, we'll probably do more of like compound lifts without it, um, stuff that's a little bit more isolated, uh, with it is typically is typically how how we'll do it um but that's not to say like i'm not throwing if someone really wants to like get a good training session in and, and they want to challenge themselves like i've definitely had people go bands on both legs and go like split squats for like sets of 30 and just body weight you know obviously you, you want to keep the the load fairly low um but if you like if you have the percentage right from just a restriction standpoint and you're doing like 30 on one leg and then you go like 15, 30 seconds rest and then go 30 on the other leg split squat, uh, like full depth that will definitely like destroy your quads. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've done stuff like the sled push. I definitely programmed, um, you know, I, I think that to Susie's point, like you're not really looking for um, like mechanical damage for the, from the muscle tissue. So with that, like I think anything that brings them closer to muscular failure basically allows you to do it correctly. Like it's, it's harder to screw up because of that. Whereas like in traditional strength training, you are looking for time under tension. You are looking for, you know, increased lengthening through the tissue because there's no mechanical damage here. I would say that like, there's a larger margin for error with number one, your exercise selection. um, But also just like, you don't need so much um, of like an eccentric focus, for example, like you really just need to be able to build up metabolic waste in the tissue, take them close to failure and like really whatever they're doing. Um, and like that could be doing split squats, but that could also be like doing a minute on like a rogue echo bike, uh, at like even like low to moderate intensity. And like, that's just as God awful as, as anything else. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'll, I'll,
3: add, I'll add to that too, Connor, like that's like unused, a great example. Like we always talk about with different types of athletes or populations, um, and like with strength training so say you're you know you're strength training a traditional athlete that has no injuries all this you're going to still progressively resistance overload them and especially if it's a Let's talk about a football linebacker or an Olympic weightlifter. I mean, you're still going to want them to lift some heavy weights because the success of their sport depends on them lifting heavy weights. So, you know, you're not going to not train them in that mode, in that, in that aspect. Um, but the the way you can use BFR with those kind of traditional athletes is in the sense of like, I like to call it icing on the cake. So he kind of talked about that, like at the end of. That session where after you do your, you know, your heavy lift and, you know, you're lifting heavy weights, all that, if you have a little gas left in the tank, because you're not going to stress, you know, mechanically too, too much, you know, and, and increase your risk of injury at that point, you can do like a finisher BFR set. I would like to do to get that extra cell swelling, that extra metabolic kind of, kind of like, you know, acidosis kind of, you know, disturbance at you, throw it at you or on their recovery days. Um, because if you are lifting heavy, you're going to and if you're doing it correctly, you're going to induce micro tearing, you're going to induce the inflammation response, and you need to rest, you know, you definitely need to rest proper nutrition, all that good stuff. But where can you maybe cycle on, you know, if you're doing some light active recovery, you can apply BFR there to also enhance that entire neural hom- neural hormonal response as well and enhance your recovery with using it in that sense. So like you can use it with traditional strength training, which is pretty neat. You would just use it a totally different way. Like comparatively, I had um, one high school athlete a few year, couple years ago, and um, she had a great surgery as she was post ACL. Um, she did go, you know, to, to a, a PT clinic. Um, however, didn't, you know, she was still, once she graduated from PT, they completely put her right onto the field, but she was so atrophied. Her muscular endurance was so low that I think her risk of re-injury was super high and she couldn't cut. She had no like agility to her anymore. She was very scared to because she was a, um, a plant and twist pop. So she was, you know, had that a little bit of that psychological type of hesitancy there. So. The first thing we needed to do was crush her in the sense of getting her strength and hypertrophy back because she was still so decreased there. So we did a lot of the traditional, like Connor just threw out there, like the split squats, the the squats, you know, the everything kind of thing. But once she got there and she was heading into her lacrosse season in the spring, we were able to use BFR with with her drills, like with agility drills and everything else. So she was still stressing the tissues um, and getting that metabolic workout. But at the same time, we were also working on her, you know, I'm not a lacrosse player, but like her roll dodges and all those other kind of moves we were working on, you know, outside. So it was really neat that we got to use it with agility training as well. So there's so many different ways and it depends on the population or, of course, the goal of, of the individual. I've also had individuals osteopenia. i totally trained them, totally different than I did than my soccer player who is ready to get back out there and cut and go, you know, start again on the lacrosse team. So totally different, but it's really cool that you can program these, the, you know, the modality in a totally, you know, it's not one size kind of fits all situation.
0: Yeah, so again, I have never used the cuffs. I'm wondering what the sensation is in in, in the context of, I deal with a lot of persistent pain clients who actually have a fear towards anything that kind of jacks up their heart rate. Um, they have a big like emotional response to it or like a high intensity kind of feeling. So I guess one, my question would be, what's the sensation with it? And then maybe Connor, like, how do you communicate what it's going to feel like with persistent pain clients?
2: Yeah, I would say, um, I would say number one, like it definitely depends. The comfortability level definitely depends on the type of cuff that you have. So like a rigid cuff, uh, that is going to typically be a little bit more uncomfortable. Think like a blood pressure cuff. Um, that's going to be a little bit more uncomfortable than something like an elastic cuff. Um, like a, like a B strong band, for example, like is what we use, um, because it has an elastic component to it it is a little bit more comfortable while they're exercising um and you aren't occluding and uh susie can talk a little bit more about that as well um but basically i would say that those are the most comfortable bands that that i've used um and you can still get a really good training effect but to your point uh, michelle i would say that like i probably work with people for i mean and depending on the case but i typically work with people for a little while and like gain their trust and kind of like work with them through a number of different exercises before I actually just slap these cuffs on, um, because the training effect is pretty substantial. Like the fatigue comes on pretty quick. Um, and it's definitely, it's, it's systemic. Um, so like you will feel your heart rate increase faster than normal, even though you're using very low loads. Um, so like for your meatheads, like they're definitely going to love it. Like when I did my first lab and like Uh, Susie's class like when we did the BFR with the cuff like number one it was uncomfortable but like it just brings you to failure so fast and I was like this is awesome but for people to your point that are very sensitive to that type of feeling I would almost try to get them there um, like traditionally maybe with like low loads and start to work then towards BFR because that onset is like pretty quick but I'll, I'll also frame it in a way where it's like hey look like you know this is completely safe it's well researched um, the fatigue is probably going to come on very fast. Um, and, and it's okay if it feels very tight. It's okay if you have like some limb discoloration. And I kind of just say like, this is okay, that is okay. That way you kind of like, if it's happening, and they're they're actually doing it, they don't like freak out if they're feeling certain things or seeing certain things. Um, but with that being said, like, I think if it's framed that way, uh, then it it's a little bit of a smoother process. Uh, that's kind of like the way. and And also like, you know, we could always do it with them. Like, say they have like one band on and like, I could throw a band on if it's like, Hey, you know, I I'll do it too. Like, honestly, like I could, I could do it while you do it. We'll run through the same program. And then like, all right, well, if you're doing it, like, I'll do it too. Kind of thing. That's definitely something that, that is uh, possible to do. And a lot of times I'll introduce like one band at a time, you know? So it's like, Hey, at the end of this, uh, at the end of this program today, like Let's, you know how, you know, you usually do like the arm farm. Let's do the arm farm, but like we'll slap the bands on and we'll actually go down in weight. Um, So the weight part will be easier, but the fatigue will probably be the same, if not more. People be like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And as long as there's no like legitimate contraindications, they're good to go. And if they've trained with me for a little while and we have that trust kind of built, it generally goes pretty well. And then like, maybe I give them a little bit more rest time early on. So like, you know, maybe we're not giving, you know, The absolute, you know, 30 seconds that's going to get them the most fatigued and fire all their muscles and and fatigue them out completely, but give them a little bit of time to clear and then like help them kind of like build a resistance to it and build a tolerance for, for the level of uncomfortability that it could potentially be. And then start to build it up from there, two cups or whatever, you know,
3: Like uh, Michelle, Michelle's a great question. And Connery like definitely started to hit the nail, like definitely hit the nail on the head there with that. Um that's a, and that's a big section. Um, and I always say it's the hardest part of summarizing BFR in a short period of time because you know, we I talk about this for eight hours for an entire day, and we do so much hands-on and everything else throughout the day with it. Um, but, you know, a great, a great point to that is, you know, it's important to definitely have a, a good device to use, like a good device that you know how to use and is efficient putting it on. You know, we won't get into every single device that's out there because every other second there's a new one getting, getting pumped out there. That's a big part of the course is actually educating the therapist and... Clinicians and you know trainers on the different types out there, and if you know if it's like a rigid pneumatic system or it's an elastic pneumatic system, you know we don't want to take anyone's tourniquet like you're taking someone's blood and put that on anyone. We don't want to do that. We're going to drastically increase the risk for for injury and a peripheral neuropathies, peripheral vessel damage. We're, we're not going to do that. But if you're using either what's called a limb occlusion professor, uh, pressure device, so that's like a rigid pneumatic system, and it's pretty reputable, and you know how to use it, and it's used used pretty well you're going to get great results with that. But however, to Connor's point, something that's a little bit more rigid can be a little bit more uncomfortable. So it's good to have, I would say, a couple good reputable devices in your tool chest at that point, because some individuals will come to you and say, I want to use this one. I was trained on this one. Let's do it. If I think it's reputable and it measures LOP correctly, all of that, I'll say, let's do it. But if we're looking for comfort and safety I definitely lean everyone towards the elastic pneumatic aspects because you're still restricting that you're not occluding but the elastic as- aspect to it allows it to kind of more so bend and flex with your movements so it's a lot more comfortable so Michelle if you have individuals who are you know in pain or all that or a little bit nervous about that exercise kind of effect I would definitely lean them more towards that that type of that type of blood flow restriction device but you can get a benefit as long as you know how to use them all properly you know and you know how that system is set up you can get some some great results but um the the good news with that is you know it helps decrease swelling and all of these other kind of um, benefits afterwards as well because we enhance our skeletal muscle pump with bfr as well but when you mentioned something about heart rate that's a really good segue i think into cardiovascular stuff because we're restricting venous return to a great deal, especially if you're doing something bilaterally, or if you are just doing something fitness wise, like we've, we've started topping into doing a little bit of interval training with it on all four and with like some fitness clients and your heart rate goes up very quickly, much more quickly than you would with any traditional strength training, or even sometimes with, you know, dependingly it's kind of, um, correlates with aerobic training, because we're restricting venous return back to the heart to maintaining cardiac output, you know, we have to increase heart rate because stroke volume is going to be affected. So we're not going to be pumping enough blood out with each compression, you know, each beat. So we have to increase heart rate. But um, there's some other great cardiovascular benefits with BFR as well that there's a lot more information coming out. We really focus on the musculoskeletal side, which is amazing. And I think there's so many more benefits and populations we really need studies to come out with, especially in our like neuro populations and stuff like that. Um, But we're starting to see like over time, a decrease in resting heart rate, a decrease in resting blood pressure. We have had some people use this for more of a, like Connor was saying on a fan bike, Cycling, walking, hiking, doing those kind of things. And they were actually able to lower their blood pressure medication, who a little bit people have had it on there. So just pretty neat. And they're some of the researchers are hypothesizing, well, what's happening? They think like the hypoxic effect of BFR systemically potentially has an effect on the heart afterload mechanisms, as well as like increasing the sensitivity to the vagus nerve. So we're increasing, you know, our parasympathetic nervous system at rest a little bit more. So pretty neat. So it's pretty neat to also think about the cardiovascular side to it.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
3: Jeez. And even
0: like, I just think of, you know, my people I'm probably uh, will text you immediately after this with your cuff recommendation, but even just what we learn in strength conditioning, just like progressive overload, like put the cuff on, get them comfortable with it. Maybe just do like a few reps, take it off. And like, that was it for the day and probably just good communication around like the expectations. And then the expectations of like the, you know, when you leave the gym the next day and things like that, and just reiterating like the benefits. Um, Cause we're always trying to find things with persistent pain clients that, maybe aren't gonna set them into like a tailspin of, hey, this is going to cause, this is going to bring my pain back again, or I'm going to have a flare up. So this is just seems like a great tool to slowly introduce to people and let them see like the benefits with it. Cause these are the type of people who really aren't gonna be even pushing into the 50, 60 beyond like a one rep Mac kind of of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're not probably doing like um, what we consider like traditional strength training. Yeah. Um, so I love learning about th- th- this, this modality too. Um, so what other types of like ways um, would you use this within like a, a training session?
1: We'll be back to the show in just a minute. One of the big themes of this show is the importance of continued development if you're a trainer or therapist. If you listen to Michelle and I, chances are you're not the type of practitioner to take everything they learned during school at face value. You're curious, hungry, driven, and want to be the best you can be for both your clients and yourself. However, Instagram scrolling and taking weekend courses with three-letter acronyms will only take you so far. You need a mentor, someone to help you make sense of what you've learned, the habits you've developed as a practitioner, and where your knowledge or application gaps may be. I can say for certain that I've had the good fortune of standing on the shoulders of some giants in our field. Lance Goyke, Zach Couples, my now co-host Michelle, and Bill Hartman, to name a few. More than explicit knowledge, what I gained is a framework of how to take in new information, process and reflect, and iterate continuously. Something that a three-letter acronym course won't be able to teach you. As such, it's my pleasure to act as a mentor for clinicians and trainers like, to add more structure to their clinical development. Over the course of four 50 minute long sessions, we'll dive into your model, poke and prod for areas of cognitive bias, and assemble the scaffolding for shaping your continual development as a clinician. If this sounds like something that'd be of value to you, shoot me a DM at tim underscore richart underscore dpt on Instagram and include what you'd like help in making sense of. Now back to the show.
3: Connor, do you want to take one to use an example first?
2: Yeah, yeah, I would love to. Um, so, I guess what I would say is like when I'm when I'm using this with people, um, it really depends on what they're coming in with. Um, you know, I'd say that we see people all the way from the rehab to like the training side of things. So, if someone's like really geared towards hypertrophy and they want to really like target aesthetics, it's like okay, like we can definitely do like the arm farm type thing. And like, you know, you have your dad who like played football in college and like, he wants to fill out his sleeves and like, you know, it's amazing what training arms will do for like adherence to a program for like a guy in his forties or fifties. Like for someone who doesn't love training to turn them back to like, Hey, at the end, we're going to hit arms. That actually does like some pretty amazing stuff from just like a psychosocial standpoint of like, Hey, I had like fun today training. And also like, on that side of things, like you get buy-in from your client as well. Just like, Hey, I actually enjoy coming in. This isn't like a chore. Um, and then you, you get people to stick around for a little bit longer. So your retention rate goes up. So from a business side of things, like it's fantastic. Um, you know, to your point, Michelle, as far as like people who are very sensitive to joint compression and really moving through heavy loads, like one thing that I've definitely run into issues with, especially like People with osteoporosis, people with osteo, you know, arthritis, um, people just sensitive to joint compression in general, um, and people who don't want to like lift heavy weights, especially if they don't really have any experience doing so, like visually putting plates onto a bar or giving them like a heavy kettlebell or being like, hey, this is what you're going to do. That can be pretty nerve wracking for some people. Um, and so being able to be like, hey, these cuffs are going to go on. But like you see these light weights over here, like that's all you're going to lift. Or like, hey, this is just body weight. Or like, hey, you know how you ride the bike all the time anyway? You're just going to do it with the cuffs on. And the nice thing about like some of these cuffs is like you don't even have to like inflate it fully. You can kind of, you can take it, you know, maybe a step below where you would take like your person who absolutely loves it. You can definitely modify the intensity that you're going to like give someone so you Mm -hmm. can give them basically something that you think they'll tolerate early on and almost let them learn to love it and then go from there and basically work them through the continuum till it's like, all right, full blast BFR. And once they get really used to that, um, muscle fatigue, you're like, yeah, this is actually what it should feel like during traditional strength training too. And it's a nice way to almost reverse engineer the process into like, Hey, now I want you to lift that heavy weight. And I don't want you to like stop until you feel that same feeling as you felt when we were doing BFR. And so like, we're going to use this like a little bit heavier weight now without the cuffs on, um, And I want you to do like a set of 15 here and let's see what you got. And people are like, okay. You know, so, so that's kind of a nice way to do it too. Um, That's definitely a, a, you know, something that I've, that I've introduced in that way to, to a number of my clients and gotten decent results with.
3: And, And another good way to introduce it to clients is like Connor said, is it's just like anything. If you, if you get a new client and you're kind of doing your first, first session with them, kind of seeing where they're at, physiologically metabolically strength aerobic why all those all these kind of things based off their goals and so forth you know you're obviously always going to adjust your program or adjust your sessions comparatively to that individual so similar with BFRs, like you know how can you adjust that program wise you definitely can adjust the pressure so that you decrease the intensity increase the intensity the level of restriction i call it and then You can obviously increase the weight slightly. So if it's like someone's like, I'm not even tired at all. So you can alter the pressure. You can alter the weight a bit. You can alter the complexity of the exercise. Uh, You play around with, you know, the reps, time under tension, things like just like anything you would typically do. Um, You would just do it with with BFR typically, other than you're not going to really go over that 50% of one rep max. Because once we start going over that, we start inducing a little bit more of the micro tearing. We don't really. That's not the goal of BFR. We want to do more of the metabolic acidosis overload. Now, I'm not saying that there's none, especially if someone who comes in to do this the first time is like, "Oh, I didn't think I was going to be sore." It's like, "Well, you haven't trained in six months, so of course you're going to be sore." Um, those kind of things. So there's not none. There's not any. Not none, excuse me. But there's obviously dramatically less comparatively to if I were lifting 75% of my one rep max. But another thing too is, is um, Michelle, when when you're talking about you know individuals being skeptical or nervous with certain things. I run into that all the time. Even I've had therapists, clinicians, doctors, anyone saying originally they've heard about it years ago, but then now they come to me and are like, oh, there's more information out now. Can you come talk to me about it? Um one was, you know, specifically a surgeon out of Boston. I actually went to go talk to his entire orthopedic staff about it. And he even said, you know, he admittedly said, you know, five years ago I heard about it. And I was like, oh, that kind of that sounds torture, blood flow restriction. He goes, that can't be good. You know, so he just immediately dismissed the whole thing and he's like, I was totally naive to actually what was going on. So I always say that I had a parent too of um of a, of a high school athlete. I was like, Oh, I'm, you know, but she was a huge athlete, all these kind of things. She's like, I'm just the restrict piece, blood and restrict. It kind of sounds scary to some people, especially if you're not a physiologist, a clinician, sports med professional, you're you know, it can sound kind of foreign being like, what are you doing? You know, all these kind of things. So I always joke and say, if I were to name the modality, I got to coin it years ago, I would have called it um, HAT, like hat training. I would have called it hemodynamic alteration training um, because one, it sounds scientific. And two, people would, who don't know really much about like science or physiology would be like, oh, what does that mean? I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to alter your blood flow patterns. And we're going to activate your bigger muscle fibers more. So I feel like there'd be a better buy-in to me than hearing the kind of blood and restrict kind of scares people off. But definitely like Connor said, sometimes you throw the straps on yourself or the BFR cuffs or whatever and say, hey, I'll I'll do a set with you. So usually when they see it, like they'll buy into it more. And like Connor said, sometimes I'll just do you and I limb first and say, hey, let's do this. So you can compare your left leg feeling the fatigue comparatively to your right leg. And then those might be like, oh, wow, yeah, no, I want both of them to be this fatigued. And wow, look at that difference. So it's such a there's so many ways you can creatively kind of introduce it to your into your clients for sure.
0: Now, we wonder why people are afraid to come into the gym and we say things like, oh, let's go deadlift or let's do a skull crusher.
3: Right.
0: (laughs) You know, they're like halfway out the door by then.
3: Well, and the other good thing, too, is is like, you know, depending on who you are as a trainer, a therapist, like not all of your patients or your clients are going to have access to all of the equipment we have access to or the weights or the squat racks or everything else. So this is another really good way you can get a really good, you know, musculoskeletal workout, cardiovascular workout with limited with smaller amounts of equipment, technically. I mean, you don't need that many heavy weights. You don't need the weights going all the way up to hundred pounds. You don't need all of those kind of things. You don't need a squat rack. Plus I have some people come in who are in their fifties, sixties and say, listen, I did all that lifting when I was younger. I just want to increase, you know, my muscular endurance and strength so I can keep up with my grandkids. So it all depends on what they are. You know, I'm not going to be like, all right, come on, Graham, let's, let's get onto the squat rack over here. And she's like, I'll see you never, you know, (laughs) kind of thing. So it's like, how can we get these, these individuals, especially women who are you know, post-menopause or, you know, or, you know, uh, you know, at that stage where they're already at a drastic increased risk for, you know, osteopenia, osteoporosis, they're not lifting, you know, so these, this is another modality that can help that prolong that process as well as enhance all of their other musculoskeletal variables and stuff, which is pretty neat. So,
0: yeah, I'm glad you brought up the equipment thing because I do a lot of at-home sessions and a lot, a lot of people have, like equipment that it's they're gonna need to progress or go further, um, especially a, a lot of older adults. Um so that's a good tool right there. And then also, I do have a lot of persistent pain clients who their biggest thing that they struggle with is body composition. And it's really hard to take them through typical, quote, protocols because of the issues that they're dealing with. So this could be a great tool to, Make changes with body composition can really impact maybe some of the symptoms or ranges of motions that they're kind of restricted into as well. So that that's all these notes are, are awesome. Um, is there anything else that you kind of want to mention to people about BFR that we haven't yet?
2: Connor, you want to go? Um, <laughs> Jake <no>. said no. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like we I feel like we touched on so much. I feel like um one of the biggest pieces is like obviously based on the cuff, some are more user-friendly than others. Um, but I would say like just the fact that they are portable. So like as a as a person who trains yourself, like taking them on like a vacation with very little uh weight or even like a hotel gym, like you could. You could torture yourself in, in like a little home uh, hotel gym, you know, and, and really like get a great training effect where maybe like otherwise you're used to like heavier weights at your gym um, from a selfish standpoint. But also like with your clients, you know, the fact that they're portable, like, like Susie was talking about, like doing some like light agility work, um, you know, even just using like a small amount of kettlebells or even like some of them are so user friendly that quite frankly, like over a Zoom session, I've definitely had clients where they're like, can I like get my hands on these? Um, like how much are these? And like, quite frankly, I, you know, I don't know from a certification standpoint if it makes sense for them to have it on their own. But if they're like, hey, look, I'm going to be purely virtual as long as you can like sit with me over Zoom and teach me how to kind of like work this thing. Or maybe you have an in-person session where you show them how to do it. It's user friendly enough where they can set it up on their own and then essentially inflate it to like the percentage that it needs to be at. Even some of them, like they come with cards to tell you like how many millimeters of mercury like exactly you need to be at based on your size cuff, like if you can set them up initially with a session to have their own cuffs, you could do a session with them over zoom. And like, I think that would be extremely effective. I don't know what your thoughts are that on that Susie, but, uh, but I, I honestly, like, I definitely see implications for it.
3: No, ab- absolutely. And and you, you definitely said it all correct. So that's why I like to have a few, I have used multiple devices used, I still use them. I showcase a ton in my course to see what you can see that's out there because half the time, you know, as professionals we're getting inundated with marketing on this, this is why this is better, this is why that's better. And I figured like, that's a big chunk of the course. It's like, let's just educate you on what's out there, what this type of rigid device is comparatively to this elastic device what's safe, all of that. But to Connor's point, most people, like once they do this and they're enjoying it, they'll want to go get a set themselves to continue to work out at, at home. So you do want to feel comfortable as the trainer or the PT when you either graduate them or you're to work with them, that they're using something safe and reputable. They're not going to really hurt themselves at home. So that's really important to educate your patient or your client on the device that they're going to use. And that's why it's really good sometimes to not have the super, super complicated device at your clinic or with you, because then that's the only one they're exposed to. They might go to the lovely Google machine and see, well, I'm just going to go get these because it says BFR, and they might get something completely unsafe for them to use at home. So that's why I think using having education on the different ones that are out there, and like I said, a number of them can be super beneficial. Um, then you can educate your client, your patient on yeah, let's do these together and maybe add a session and say, let's do it. Or if you are virtual, say, let's do it together. And, you know, you take them, take them through that session. So it's definitely important to have, you know, safety, reputability, all, all the, all, you know, something that's reputable, all those kind of things, um, you know, in that sense, but there's a lot, of, most people, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten parents calling afterwards from high school athletes. Hey, I'm getting them for Christmas. I'm getting them for their birthday. Which one should you get? Like, which one should I get? They're going to continue to work with them while they're off at college and things like that. So, you know, definitely it's, it's really good to, to use it with them. You want them to come to you to use them, but you want to educate your, your client, your patient on them for sure. And you want to have a good background on BFR, you know, in order to do so, because you have some patients or clients that come in and say, you're the expert, I'm going to listen to you, take me through the exercise, I trust you. And then I ended up having a bio teacher, we did a whole case study on her, and she wanted to know everything down to the cellular level we were doing. So first of all, I love those sessions, I will tell you, that was like my the most fun sessions for me. Um, but you'll have everyone ask, some people will be like, why? Why this? Why that? Is this safe? Is that safe? And, you know, we didn't really get into contraindications or things like that there are some out there I mean for the most part it is definitely if you're using it correctly it's extremely safe in a number of conditions number of populations but yeah there's definitely some contraindications out there but it's definitely a modality like I said to have a tool in your tool chest for sure to not forget about or just to add in at some point
0: and uh, if anyone wants to you know contact you with questions or learn more about you uh, where can they go?
3: Uh, well, for me, you can get me. Um, I'm a professor and director at AIC. So I'm at American International College. Um, I also own like glass training and education. So that's where I do these whole political restriction courses throughout the day or throughout the whole day course. And you actually can get CEUs for PTs, PTAs, um, athletic trainers, all of those other kind of good things. So I have a glass training and education website. But ultimately, the easiest way to get at me is either at Dr. Susie Lachowski on Instagram or through uh, glass training and education at gmail.com. Um, also, you know, through the AIC website. Yes. You can find me multiple ways, I guess. Gotta get on that Instagram handle, you know?
2: <laughs> Connor? Uh, yeah. And for me, I'm, I'm fairly active on Instagram. So it's just my name, uh, Connor Sheridan underscore DPT. Uh, and that's the Instagram handle, and then obviously uh, in person. As far as in person sessions go, I'm at a Divergence PT and Wellness at the Wellesley location. Right now, we have a Wellesley and a Waltham location. Uh, I'm set at the uh, the Wellesley location, so definitely do a lot of virtual stuff here, but the, the vast majority of what I'm doing is uh, is in person. So yeah, those are those are really the two. Or you know, I even help to run the uh, Divergence Instagram as well. So that's Divergence PT and Wellness. If everyone anyone wants to uh, give that one a follow as well.
3: Yeah. And and feel free to definitely anyone who's listening or anything to to reach out to us or ask more questions. I mean, this is such a brief overview and I'm sure there's more and more questions coming out of this, you know, well, what about this? What about that situation? All that please, please feel free to reach out. We're definitely happy to answer questions, case questions. And we obviously consult with each other, other professionals, all that kind of stuff. So love answering anything or anything you got. <laughs> yeah.
0: I was even talking to Tim yesterday. Cause I was telling him about you guys and you were, we were doing the episode today and he was like, that is so awesome. He was like, I'm so excited to listen because, you know, I don't even know that much about it and I'm excited to learn something new. And I think, I think it's a great tool that people can have access to. So thank you so much for your time, Susie and Connor. Absolute pleasure as always.
3: Thanks Michelle.
1: If you're enjoying what Michelle and I are putting together here, we'd appreciate it if you could leave a review on your pod player of choice. Reviews help us climb the rankings, which improves our ability to help more coaches and therapists continue to push our industry and knowledge base forward. The intro and outro music for More Train, Less Pain was produced by Jacob Azurdia. You can find out more about his music by visiting his Instagram page, J underscore Z-U-R-D-I-A. Thanks for listening.